Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast that thinks that some England fans would feel right at home in Liga. My name is Rupert Meadows and I've written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sport. My co-host Cameron Reynolds has spent three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Rupert. And we've got all five major European leagues kicked off now after Serie A started this weekend, uh, which has given us all sorts of drama, from the brawl that broke out between Nice and Marseille in Ligue 1 Uber Eats, um, to uncertain starts for both Barcelona and Real Madrid in the first La Liga season not to feature Messi or Ronaldo since 2004. As always, timestamps are in the description, and starting us off is a league we're more familiar with, as the breaking news came out that the Premier League has made some big moves today with regards to the international break. Yes, so um, not only have clubs spoken out and said that they are not going to be sending their players onto the international break in September, but the Premier League has also released an official statement on the matter. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because this all started on Monday. Uh, There were some rumours coming out and later confirmed by the Egyptian FA that Liverpool had written to them about not allowing Mohamed Salah to to go and play in one of their two international fixtures. They had two international fixtures, one uh, that was at home against Angola and the other that was away against Gabon. Liverpool were apparently happy to let him play against Gabon because they weren't a red list country, whereas playing in Egypt would have meant that Mohamed Salah would have had to follow the red list rules currently applicable in the UK. Um, This comes a few weeks after FIFA decided to withdraw the exemption they'd made for players travelling from red list countries, um, and now means that any player who does do that has to be uh, quarantined for 10 days in a specific quarantine hotel, and then has to take tests on day two, day eight, and it's really throwing the spanner in the works for, you know, a, a lot of planning this season. And interestingly now, the Premier League have come out, um, not only the clubs in the Premier League, but also the Premier League themselves. Richard Masters was uh, sort of one of the people pushing this out, talking about how they reluctantly but unanimously decided not to release players for international matches played in red list countries specifically next month. The club's decision, which is strongly supported by the Premier League, will apply to nearly 60 players from 19 Premier League clubs who are due to travel to 26 red list countries in the September international window. And again, they sort of reiterate, this follows FIFA's current position not to extend a temporary release exception for players required to quarantine on their return from international duty. So there's a couple of interesting things there. Um, First and foremost, I think it's quite funny that there's 60 players from 19 Premier League clubs. Yeah, just that one club. I think we all know which club it is. It doesn't have anyone (laughs) travelling abroad. But only doing their best to to pick up a French French left-back at the moment. uh... (laughs) Sean Dyke is is writing to the Towson Kavali. He's like, please make it a red-list country (laughs) so we can can join it. Well, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Sean Dyke's genius is showing through yet again. (laughs) He He has no such problems um, with any of his players. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because... um, you know, first and foremost, I find myself thinking that the reactions for all of these decisions from firstly, you know, the governing bodies to say that, um, you know, if you're coming back from a red list country, you're going to have to quarantine. I kind of think that's fairly reasonable. But then also I think clubs are fairly reasonable in saying, well, that doesn't quite fit in with our plans to actually play our players and not have them miss that many games. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? A lot of people have pointed out, and I think it mentions in the official Premier League statement as well, that being out for 10 days not only means that you would miss two matches and potentially a Carabao Cup fixture as well, but also because of this quarantining having to happen in a managed quarantine hotel, players aren't able to train properly. There's been real concerns about the food that's available at these sort of places, so you can't keep up your nutrition, which if you're a top-level athlete, you have a very specific managed diet. There's a team of people making sure that every Premier League player is, is eating correctly. And so 10 days in quarantine could mean way more than 10 days out of the game. It could mean two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a month which obviously for a Premier League team who are paying these players in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, is not really a workable position. No, very much not ideal. Um, And I guess the main thing that I I wonder about is how hard would it be to, you know, make specific changes to, you know, just make sure that firstly, the players are as protected as they can be when they're away in these countries. And secondly, you know, um, maybe don't have to quarantine, but just get them tested as soon as they get through the door rigorously back to the UK. And then if they're fine, they're fine. Um, Obviously, they'd have to wait a few days to make sure that they hadn't brought it back. But a few days is much, much better than than 10 days or or two weeks. And it feels like, in theory, you should be able to to legislate for 60 players going to, you know, um, dozens of countries rather than, you know, 60 million people. Yeah, no, it does. And I think it's I think it's a classic case of one of those things that you could sort out on paper 
but in practice there are just a few little things that make it impossible. Like one of the things that I thought was sort of interestingly ironic about the whole thing starting with Mohamed Salah was that remember last time there was an international break and he went to one of one of his cousin's weddings or something and uh, you know yep. if, if, if you can stop players doing that then obviously great but in a, in, a, in a realistic ideal world obviously not just you know piling on Mohamed Salah we had old Philip and and uh, Mason doing their their oh absolutely their nonsense. Yeah. So, so I think realistically even if it's as few as 60 players there's always going to be one person who sort of gets out and it is very much a sort of patient zero zero scenario <laughs> that we've been in for the last 18 months where if one person picks it up I mean even in the last two weeks of the Premier League, when players have been, for the most part, staying in the same place, we've had loads of players miss out through illness or sort of COVID scares or COVID connection. Um, I think it was Arsenal had like four players out over the first two games. They sure to, did, yeah. To, to, to do with COVID. And that's in a situation where, for the most part, they're all in one place. So to add to that, I mean, when I was reading those numbers earlier, 60 players to 26 different countries, I was like, that's, <laughs> it's almost like you're trying to bring it back into the Premier League. You've gone like, eh, well, it was, it was kind of spicy when we had to stop it in the middle last time and have a question about avoiding it. Let's, let's bring that excitement back in. So I can completely get why, although I don't think that this is the <laughs> motivation per se of the Premier League clubs to say, you know, let's not do it. I think it's probably more to do with you know, the reasons we mentioned earlier, fitness and missing games, as opposed to that. But I, I can completely see why that has not worked. But I can also, to a degree, see why FIFA haven't extended the exemption, because, again, there are reasons why those rules are in place. Well, there have just been quite a few outbreaks recently, haven't there? I mean, yeah, well, exactly. um, Christian Pulisic is another high-profile player who's who's picked up coronavirus in the last week or so, and it doesn't feel like it's going away, despite the fact that cases are dropping on a national level. Um, you know, I, I, whether that's related to, um, you know, players being a little bit more immature about it than your average Joe, um, because they've got more money and can do more things and whatever reason, um, or if it's because, you know, they just have to travel more for work. Um, it, it's definitely a situation that needs to be monitored and, and it feels like, you know, something needs to change because it, it kind of, the sense is for me at least that it's not really maintainable at the moment because you're just operating with so much fear. I mean, we've discussed this in the past, I think even before the coronavirus pandemic, like how ludicrous it is sometimes the schedule for players who play at the international level as well as for their clubs. You can be darting around for qualifiers or friendlies, which are the, the most egregious one, but obviously these are more sort of qualifiers for, for the World Cup, but sort of darting around to all these different countries playing, even in a, in a pre-pandemic world, that can have a real strain on a player's fitness, on a player's like sleep schedule, diet regimen, all that sort of stuff. And it's something that I've never been the biggest fan of. All the more so now, it just sort of... It, I, I know that we all want to see the World Cup next year, and we've just had the Euros, which were an absolutely fantastic tournament. But would it be the worst scenario in the world if it wasn't like... If everyone wasn't just going forward to like the dogged idea that it has to go forward, maybe like a postponement or maybe something like that, if it's going to result in sort of these situations. And maybe that's not the solution, but it's, it's interesting to see what the solution will be because now... Another thing we've talked about in the past when we were having our conversation about the Super League was the relationship that FIFA has with players versus the relationship that players have with clubs. More specifically, the fact that in FIFA regulations, um, clubs are obliged to release their registered players if they're called up by the association concerned. It goes on to say that any agreement between a player and a club to the contrary is prohibited. So this is even a situation where... And I think this is one of those sort of soft rules where, like, a lot of the time, because we, you know, we've all seen it in the past where, yeah, you know, for sure. I'm, I'm trying to think of a specific example without ragging on a super player, but like, a player is tired or a player picks up sort of an unspecified back thing before an international yeah, break. Yeah, yeah. But for something like this, which is seemingly quite explicit, one of two things must be true. And I'm just taking the example of Mohamed Salah because he's the, the first sort of one through the breach. Either Salah has agreed that with Liverpool, which by FIFA's laws is, is prohibited. Or Liverpool is saying to Mohamed Salah, him "Sorry, mate, your passport's locked up in the training in the training ground," um, which is which is also not great. And what's going to be interesting now is to see what FIFA do. Um, you would hope that anything they do is sort of they err on the side of leniency, given that these things, or, or doing nothing at all, would be the proper thing, given the circumstances. But FIFA, as are many footballing organisations, do like the chance to throw their weight around when they feel they've been slighted. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see how this develops. It definitely will be. And it'll be interesting also to see, um, you know, whether or not Mohamed Salah releases a statement, because as you said, you know, this this conflict between um, these governing bodies and their clubs, you're also now adding into the mix, you know, players' um, relationships with their home nations. 
and their you know sense of duty versus sense of professionalism to their club. It's just such a convoluted thing that it doesn't really feel like there are any clear wins other than, and here's just a suggestion that I would put out there, why don't these things get negotiated in players' contracts? In, in terms of how, how would you sort of see that going? Something like... A- Unless you've signed a new contract in the last year and a half as some sort of coronavirus clause or... Yeah, I mean, it would need to be something that is kind of introduced in phases going right. forwards because renegotiating at this time is not... It's not a thing that I don't think you could feasibly do it. Um, <laughs> Harry but... Kane would be like, put a, put a coronavirus clause in my contract. They go, yeah, that's all we put in, just sign it. I'm here for 12 more years! <laughs> Harry Kane's going to have to start reading his new contract <laughs> at some point. He's going to have to learn how to read first. Wait, so this, this means I can leave, right? Yeah, sure, Harry. <laughs> sign on the dotted okay. line. Um, but yeah, so for example, um, in the future going forwards, um, when Mohamed Salah signs a new contract with Liverpool or signs a new contract with another club, uh, and any player that is signing a club go- a con- a contract going forwards would just have, as part of the negotiations... I want to be able to go to my international matches. I want to be able to go to X amount of international matches. Mm. Or, you know, the club's saying, we can't have you and this other person and this other person go at the same time because we we physically can't manage the situation. Obviously, with Liverpool, you kind of mentioned it earlier, before we, as we were talking um, before we started recording, but, you know, Liverpool losing Mane and Salah, potentially for AFCON, is severely damaging to any sort of game they might have. So... I think surely there are ways that you could contractually manage these situations and I don't see why you couldn't in the future. I get that it's it's not comfortable, but I don't know how else you're going to get around this. The, the rules with FIFA would have to change for that first, though, because at the moment, within those regulations, a club can't make that agreement. They, they can't have sort of like... A, well, yeah, oh, we're talking you... about a change in the rules. Yeah, it had to be a change in the rules on, on both ends, though. And, you know, can I see FIFA... Because FIFA at the moment, I think the, the only sort of stipulation for a player not going and sort of where, where the club says so is I believe that there is a rule that says they can't make your players attend more than one international tournament uh, a, a season. So I think that would mean something to the effect of, you know, we just saw Pedri playing in the in the Olympics and also the um, the World Cup, oh, throw the Euros. Although I'm not sure if that would be affected by the Olympics because FIFA don't have a remit there. So I'm not really sure how often that would be a be a thing because World Cup years are just World Cup years, and, yeah. And you can't play in any of the Euros and the and the Africa. Actually, no, maybe you can if you're like one of the <laughs> invitational teams of the Copper America, and you played for like the U.S. national team, and you also want to play in the Copper America. Maybe the Seattle Sounders could say, "Now let's near Buck." <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting one. I think um, how how FIFA treats these. These international clubs, sorry, these international um, countries that have maybe less of a of a stake in, like a financial stake in the the footballing world, um, and a less, yeah, there's just less money invested in it. So it'll be really interesting whether or not they're treated as second class citizens or um, actually given equal footing in what is in theory an international governing body. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the main thing that I could imagine being good about clubs and players being allowed to negotiate it on an individual basis is that um you know players won't be discriminated um on based on where they're from you know there won't be clubs saying oh we don't want this player from this country because if something like this happens again or if he has to go to x y and z international tournaments and we don't know about how what kind of state he's going to come back in then we don't want to sign him yeah, no, no, I think it is, and we sort of mentioned a little bit before recording how that's going to yeah. affect club decisions. I think one of the other interesting things, because we've sort of been looking at it from sort of the club perspective and sort of like, oh, the clubs are in the right to do this, and, you know, oh, naughty, naughty FIFA for not exempting it. What will be interesting is to see how this impacts the World Cup qualifiers and by proxy the World Cup itself. Are we now going to see, like, some teams that you would usually expect to play in the World Cup? Maybe not. If Brazil, for example, don't have access to any of their Premier League players and potentially if some other top European leagues follow suit, you know, if it's in Brazil without Fabinho and Neymar and yeah, yeah. Thiago Silva and all these other players, and then they can't even, because a, a lot of the Brazilian players that would normally be the backups also play in one of Europe's top five leagues. Well, this is where it's going to get messed up because it's going to and that Brazil severely is just one example, skew but... um, international football towards where all of the, the league money is. Mm. Um, so I think it's... It has the potential to be a really dangerous. Well, also just um, also just just geographically, it's, it's not even so much of a money issue because I feel like there's not a lot of football money in, say, for example, 
and I, I don't have a list to hand of like a red which countries are red list or not, but in the UK, but like let let's say somewhere like I don't know Poland. Yeah, sure. Lewandowski wouldn't necessarily be be stopped from going to Poland because it doesn't have a huge football league. It would just be whether or not it happened to be on the red list. Where it just so happens to be that like a lot of the red list countries are also South American, African. Um, you know, but Poland also benefits from massive like financial. Um, um, what's it called? Um, luxuries, privileges, just by nature of the fact that they're in the EU, for example. So I guess it's it's is at least in part geographical, because. You know, geography and finance are so intrinsically linked. Yeah, no, that that, and that, infrastructure that, that is and, true. And you, you development take that point. And, and things like that. But I think, yeah, no, there, there definitely is a link there if you sort of if you follow the thread. But I think what will be interesting now is to see if, you know, part part of that is a is a a fun thing because don't we all love it in an international tournament <laughs> when you get sort of a bit of a plucky underdog? Yeah, and you, and you get a team that no one's expecting there and they do quite well. Part of it For is sure. also a bit harrowing because. You know, the flip side of that is we all love when someone like, uh, you know, Costa Rica or a Hungary or someone like that who you weren't really expecting to see, much less see do well, come in and su- surprise a little bit. On the other hand, how annoying is it when you see a team like in recent years, a Netherlands or an Italy or, or, or a France or someone not qualify for those major tournaments because you are then robbed of seeing, you know, the top level footballers at the top level sure. football tournaments. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Countries can bid for <laughs> international players to, to play for them. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> yeah. So or like like a draft system or something like that. That'd be quite fun as well. Just have like Neymar rolling up um, for Norway with uh, um, Haaland or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like that'd be great. <laughs> I yeah, I think um, the main thing in my mind is that I hope things are moving in the right direction. So even if, for example international football became more centralized around european countries for a few years so if if you know friendlies and tournaments had to be played closer to europe or more like better regulated by fifa and then you know the money that is is made by those competitions is still filtered back to those countries and they're able to improve the situations around you know how how football is is governed within their countries mm. I would be okay with that, I think, but it definitely is hitting a lot of red flags in my mind for just in- international, um, um, what's the word? Um, FAs. Just no, like or various um, organizations. discrimination. Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely could also be, I mean, it's sort of, again, interwoven beyond the football sphere, so not really something that yeah. stops in the, in the football. Absolutely. But, but, you know, definitely a complex situation. I think maybe the last word on it is just like, Slightly alluded to earlier, but the 60 players that have been mentioned that won't be able to go traveling. Um, so this news only officially came out about an hour and a half ago, two hours at, at time of recording. Yeah. So I have not had the time yet to go through a comprehensive list of all the players and mark them down. But, Rupert, I would bet you a lot <laughs> of money that that list of 60 players is disproportionately weighted in favour of a certain no. six clubs. <laughs> you stop right there, Cameron. <laughs> and. What's interesting about those six crazy. clubs is that they have very recently come off the back of a uh, an issue. I don't know if you've heard of it, but some issue what in which it? they fell foul of FIFA and FIFA regulations. And what that We're might do... This is like a, we've now decided to fight you at every possible turn. You see, so that could that could be one way of it. I, I'm thinking more in luck, because I don't think that this is sort of, you know, the United's and Liverpool's trying to thumb their nose at FIFA after the failure of the Super League. What I think could happen, though, is FIFA looking at the list of players that have gotten and gone, hmm, interesting, lots of United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Arsenal and Spurs and City players, eh? How do you feel about this draconian punishment? <laughs> and it's just like, it's one of those things where, like, you know when, um, like, someone gets away with something and then, like, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's, it's like in a football game. Like, someone, sometimes a player will make a really bad tackle and then the referee will just really overcompensate the next time he catches them do anything. Well, because they let him off last Because they let him off and last And then at half-time, maybe he saw the highlight, the, exactly. the replay back. And, and so the whole, like, Super League thing is still, like, FIFA haven't really been able to throw their weight around and, and nor have you over. So they might just go, well, well, well. Look where the shoe is now. <laughs> How the turntables. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think that could be informative of how FIFA reacted to this whole situation. Because I don't think there's really a bad guy here. I can see why both sides have done what they have. Personally, for me, I would side more with the clubs because I think sending your players to red list countries is not advisable. I think sending anyone to a red list country, if they really have yep. to, is, is not great. But 
so 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 that's where I would start side really. But I can also see FIFA sort of being like, right, well, we want to put in the World Cup. In my ideal world, we have the World Cup as soon as possible because the World Cup's the best thing in football. But yeah. is that realistic? Well, I mean, time will tell with all of these things as you said. You know, the the news is only just broken, um, so we'll be we'll be keeping our nose to the ground. Um, finding out more as it comes out. I'm sure we'll be talking about it a little bit more. And a finger on the pulse. <laughs> um, ear to the wall. Ear to the wall. <laughs> um, yeah. Someone's uh, going to twister. Um, shall we look next at, we've just talked about a, a sort of metaphorical fist fight there between FIFA and various Premier League football clubs. Well, the Premier League, really. Um, After a very real fist fight. How about a very, yeah, a very real, very literal fist fight uh, that broke out in the Liga Nuberitz. Um, a league that many will be excited to watch this season because of the advent of Lionel Messi, because of the team that PSG have assembled. There will be some uh, more patrician fans, I would I would submit, that will be watching because of the success of <laughs> Lille last season and how great the, the league table finished up and see if there's any chance for them to sort of keep PSG at bay. It's like, a, like pret- pretentious football hipsters. Yeah, like yeah, people yeah. that think they, they know a lot about football. I know a couple of, of guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I used to run in those circles. <laughs> I can think of one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Ligon had a great spectacle uh, in this Nice-Marseille game. Uh, and I would say something that didn't happen on the pitch, except that it very much did happen on the pitch. Um, nice were 1-0 up, playing themselves a, a good game. And um, things were getting a little bit heated. Throughout the game, they had been throwing water bottles at Marseille players whenever they went to get corners or got a bit close to the hoarding. And for the most part, this had seemed like you know, not great, but not like it was going to get out of hand. It seemed like that was where it was going to start and end. And we've seen stuff like that all the time, sort of missiles and, I don't know, plastic bottle water's not, probably not going to hurt anyone, is it? It's, it's, it's annoying and you shouldn't do it, but it wasn't, like, aggressive. It wasn't, it wasn't like, there's, da- there's less risk of physical damage to the players, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it wasn't something that, it was something that you could look at and you could sort of go, like, Oh god! Rather than just like, oh my god, they should abandon the game right now. This is uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. is which okay. is which is where it went. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking of like you know, um, Arsenal, Tottenham derbies, and like pennies being thrown. And stuff yeah, like yeah, that. So, yeah, some, something a little bit more substantial, or like you know, a brick or something. Um, but yeah, so so throwing throwing water bottles back, all kind of say that until uh, Dimitri Payet. Of course, the streets will never forget. Uh, Premier League footballer, one, one of one of the baller, baller. one of one of the classic streets will never forget footballers, uh, decided to throw one back after he was hit with one uh, at the fans. And I don't know if he even hit someone. I assume so because it was like a big crowd, or if it's a land of Thomas Fleet. But the fans reacted. The camera didn't really show. Didn't show. Didn't, yeah. didn't show. Um, I also feel like if it had like hit someone cleanly, they'd have come up with like my story by I'm now. I'm suing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like with the, the world's smallest cut on his eyebrow. Yeah, exactly. But then the fans, the fans stormed the pitch. And what was crazy about this is that the fans stormed the pitch, and it wasn't just the fans that were going nuts. All of the players from both teams started getting involved in the action. A couple of other familiar faces from the Premier League. Um, one of my favourite little Wells Waldo spots was Matteo Guendouzi, uh, who has ever been a recalcitrant <laughs> player, getting straight in there. <laughs> I was looking, I was like, of all the players that you wouldn't want right at the heart of this this situation. Matteo Guendouzi, Matteo Guendouzi is like, maybe like top five lowest. Like, do you know what I mean? Matteo Guendouzi is... is only ever about one insult or one like perceived insult away from starting a fist fight himself. Like, I could see someone like yelling at him about his hair and him leaping headfirst into the crowd. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, um, Mario Balotelli's played for both clubs. <laughs> well, he could have been there as well, um, yeah. causing mayhem. But uh, but yeah, so so the, the players are getting involved. The club chairman, apparently, um, Jean-Pierre Revere from Nice and Pablo Longoria of Olympic Marseille, of either side, were sort of standing near each other in the stands and reportedly had to be held back because they were nearly fist-fighting each other, which personally is how I think they should settle, like, draws. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I quite like that, to be honest. Like, this sounds weird, but... I it goes all the way to I the I like top. that the passion, like, is, is on all levels of the club. It's, like, it's <laughs> genuine. It's like Jan versus Dot, the two... Uh... <laughs> The, the two, two, the two, lunch, the two We've always said there's another, there's a better way to do it than just the penalties we have now. Whether that's club chairman taking penalties <laughs> yeah. or club chairman fist fighting, but no, I, I do know what you mean. There is something kind of funny about like it sort of transcends like a minority of idiots when even like the most senior people present are like, right, come here. <laughs> yeah, well, this is weird because I I don't know of any historic like great great aggressive rivalry between Nice and Marseille. I mean, the clubs have done deals in the past for players between them and. It feels like just just based on the fact that everyone from the stewards all the way up to the owners got involved. It feels like it's, it had been boiling over for more than seventy four minutes. 
it, yeah, it seemed like it got really out of hand, but I don't, maybe it was just sort of, I, I mean, for one of these teams, it would have been their first home game back for, 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 for Nice. Um, yeah. But I mean, for one of them, like, because uh, it was so early on in the season. So maybe it was just the Nice fans have been, you know, they're always a little bit aggressive. I've not been to Nice. Maybe they're always a little bit aggressive and it just built up over time and they were like, right, let's give a kicking to whoever... I mean, maybe... Likes I, the blue touch paper, which Dimitri Payet apparently did. See, here's, here's the other part that I don't get. I, I, when, I, when I was watching the, the highlights back, and um, one of the commentators was kind of talking about it, and he was like, as Payet picked up the bottle, he was like, don't throw that back. And then Payet did, of course, but why, why would you be so, so immediately incensed? If you've been throwing bottles at the players all game, and a player just throws one back, why are you suddenly like just immediately see the the darkest shade of red? I don't I, I, really I think, get the I, I think it's the it's maybe this is like, the how like, that's outrageous. Maybe, I have to fight maybe back. Maybe this is what it is. Maybe it's after so long at home where people can just sort of like hurl abuse that's completely one sided, <laughs> and now someone can actually physically throw it back. They're all just like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> He's allowed to do that? <laughs> but no. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, I definitely interested to know how many new TVs got bought in France last year, um, but. Interesting to know. Um, but yeah, so so an absolutely hilarious brawl. Some of the clips of it are... It's one of those things, like, I, I just find it hard to not be like, oh, you don't want to see it. Because there was a part of it that was like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, <laughs> it's just, just... Seeing all of the players getting involved. Jorge Sampaoli had to be held back by members of his staff to prevent him from fighting as well. Yeah, There's like yeah, images yeah. of him running around oh, he the was pitch, ready like, to go. grabbing he players. He was ready to go. I was like, how... What set of circumstances would need to happen <laughs> for this to happen in a, in a Premier League game today... Like, I'm really trying to think about how close, but maybe, like... I don't know. Who do you think... Who's the fieriest manager after um, El Loco? <laughs> um, maybe if, like, Bielsa and Big Sam got into a... T- well, there's is, no, is not Bielsa, Big Sam now. But... Sean Dyke? I feel like Sean Dyke, he would just laugh off, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, I, I feel um, like someone would sort of try and, you know, make him off. My instinct is like... that it would be Bielsa and someone. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Um, but, Bielsa, but of course, who... of, of Marseille fame. <laughs> Well, exactly. What's, what is in the water? Um, yeah, I uh, I don't understand. I mean, also, let's talk about something that we've talked about a couple of times before. Why don't you just dock Nice some points? Well, that's apparently what might happen now. Why don't you just do that? And it's, then maybe it won't happen again? It's, uh, it's only happened on Sunday, and apparently the, uh, the and then LFP maybe the fans are still regulate themselves? Still figuring it out. Well, and then maybe they don't work out their behaviors wrong. But we'll see. Um, I, I was, I, I, mean, I always think that sort of thing's a good idea for like you know fighting a racial abuse. And except for the, like the, the argument that people always give you is that like you get fans going in like a false flag operation. You'd get like it would maybe it would maybe increase like fights between you, fans. You, you'd get like at city games, yeah. tons of United fans dressed in city shirts, deliberately causing fights to try and get points stopped. But there'd be ways that you'd <laughs> yeah in twenty twenty one absolutely you, you there could work be. that out yes. and then imagine the imposition like the the fines yeah and, no and I, dot points I, I don't agree with that as, as, as a counter argument it's just one that always gets brought up yeah I mean look I I I think the main thing is like say someone threw a bottle and then like a niece fan would throw a punch at a niece fan obviously you don't want to encourage that but also if it's just going to put out the fire as quickly as possible I don't mind if if a couple of like um, you know, fans that are in the wrong get get there. Foot, get football there. lynch mobs, hey Rupert. Well, it's <laughs> not what I'm saying. They're just like I don't know. If they if it just gets cut out at the root, that's the quickest way. We, no, we, no. we're in agreement. No, I, I agree. It's, it's the same thing anyway. It's like you know when you see people saying you know offensive chants or whatever. It's when the fans of their own team are like, "Listen, mate, cut it out," because because no one's going to want to do that if they think they're going to be ostracised by their own community. So well, exactly. So. Um, Anyway, let's move on and talk about useless trivia. I have gone for a very relevant piece of useless trivia today, relevant to the relevant. The, the Nice versus Marseille brawl. Yeah. Well, I hope it's not too relevant, Cameron. Uh, it is. It is fairly. I, relevant. I would hate for this to be useful trivia. <laughs> <laughs> it's useful to just this specific segment that we've talked about, and it is useless else, elsewhere. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping it's going to get back. And this is talking about the most red cards that have ever been awarded in a professional football match. Okay. For which you may think the upper limit could surely only be twenty-two. <laughs> I, I was, Wrong, you are. <laughs> I swear. After you get like four red cards as a team, you you forfeit the match, don't you? Yes. So I my, I was thinking eight. Yeah. But obviously, you could give some to the Subs, bench and stuff. Keep, yeah, um, managers and, and that, managers and things like that. But you would think, you know. Oh no! It was like thirty-seven or something ridiculous. In, in my year, mind, I was going to get for like seven. In the year two thousand eleven, so not that long ago. This isn't some sort of antiquated. Uh, this is no, a no. living memory. 
Um, in the fifth tier of Argentinian football, arch-rivals Claypole and Victoriano Arenas, who, when I was doing uh, further uh, research into this, are named after, their namesake is just some estate agent who lives in Argentina. Doesn't own the club, before I can see, just some estate agents that they knew. What? <laughs> um, they played a match against each other, and in the first half, two players were sent off by referee Damien Rubino. When the second half began... All hell broke loose, with both teams incensed about the state of play so far, flying in, giving tackles, and eventually the benches and the managers joining in to just stop full-on physically fighting. By the end of the match, 36 red cards were given. Referee, referee Damien Rubino gave a red card to every single player on both teams, and 14 additional red cards were given to the subs and coaches. Oh my word. I guess 37. That's not <laughs> far off. Um... <laughs> How have I not heard of that? That's crazy. It's, it's, it's great. Not that long ago. Um, what, Good what's, what's, what have we called a quiet game in the South American <laughs> lower leagues? Oh, gosh. Um, Argentina, I would love to go to watch a football match there, but the stories that you hear, it does, does make me a little nervous. I've, I've um, only been to one football match personally in South America, and I went to go watch um, Independiente Medellin in the beautiful Colombian city of Medellin. And the game was 1-0. It was actually a free kick scored by uh, Juan Pablo Quintero. You may remember from his Udinese oh, yeah. days. Uh, so he was actually on loan there at the time. Uh, and he was Atletico Madrid at one point, maybe? He um, he was like a, a one to watch. So I think he, he, he made the rounds um, of European clubs anyway, for a little bit. At, at the time he was playing for a European club, I want to say maybe it was Skillful Atletico Madrid or something, but he was on loan there. Scored an absolute bang of a free kick. Yeah. Other than that, pretty pretty nothing in game. 1-0, not that exciting. You would not have been able to tell that from the fans. Pretty mellow. Fair enough. Every single second oh, of the really? game, from from second one to the 90th minute, and it was Medellin that ended up winning it, but everyone, both sets of fans, were literally on their feet just going nuts. And this was like just a regular league game. It wasn't like a particularly big cup tie or really? a final or anything. Nuts. Wow. Great, great atmosphere. That's crazy. Um, so, what do To be fair, the, um, the first football match I think I ever watched, um, I went to the Valley to watch Charlton take on Millwall. And the game ended 1-1. And there was a riot afterwards. <laughs> Police on horseback. And I was like, what, what have I got myself into here? Apparently it did not deter me, because here we are. It's amazing that the first game you watched was uh, between Charlton and Millwall, and you, you still stayed a football fan <laughs> yeah, to, to, know, today. Draw. Do you know what? I think I put like a, a bet on um, the player for Charlton who scored to score. So maybe that was what uh, kept my kept the... The fire of a, a how, flame. How in my old heart. were you? <laughs> it's like, um, I was like your dad, but old boy or something. I can't, maybe that's maybe I made a bet with the person I was with. I can't remember. Oh, exactly. right, right. I, I don't remember. Um, I was going to say like, I don't think most bookies. I would was take not three years old. <laughs> yeah, right, I didn't go when I was three. And it was like the first game I went to with friends rather than like, oh, right, my dad right. taking me age ten to something. Um, but uh, first game I ever went to was at Villa Park. Interestingly enough, really, yeah. I've never been to to Villa Park. I so. Love to go. Good stadium. Well, I, I was a young lad at the time, so my, my recollection of that exact game is not great. Um, but uh, been back since, and a great stadium. Nice, yeah. Massive um, massive crowds and a, a great atmosphere. So I've heard. Um, so my piece of usage trivia this week, um, I thought that in the midst of all the controversy surrounding Barcelona at the moment, I would tell you about a little transfer saga that happened a few years ago, which you might have heard of, where Barcelona absolutely mugged off West Brom to sign Louis Barry. Yeah, I, I think I think he actually got name dropped in a couple of episodes ago. When we were talking about the how bad their financial situation. I think I dropped it in as a little footnote of like they're paying Griezmann way too much. They're paying us, and they haven't even paid West Brom for Louis Barry. <laughs> so I thought I'd um, I'd break it down for for those listening. Um, so in 2019, Louis Barry signed a three-year contract with Barcelona, moving from West Brom, where he had been since the age of six, to become the first ever English player to play in La Masia, which is Barcelona's famed training academy. There was just one problem. Neither the FA nor his club West Brom had actually sanctioned the move. Um, West Brom complained, saying that they were reported to the F- uh, to FIFA. In essence, when a player moves abroad, the club that are taking them on are required to pay a development rights fee of a flat fee of £235,000 in compensation to their old club. Barcelona responded by saying that they hadn't paid West Brom because they had yet to receive a report from FIFA's Committee for the Protection of Minors. Again, this was back in 2019. They still haven't paid anything to West Brom to this day two years later. What they have done, though, is sell Louis Barry to Aston Villa in a deal that could rise to £3 million with add-ons. <laughs> One can only hope for the baggy sake that this little uh, nugget of £235,000 that Barca still owe for, for Barry will not be lost in the bucket of what is estimated to be more than a billion euros. 
Um, and I didn't also know this. You might not have heard of it. But West Brom have also been recently appealing to the FA about receiving compensation for another of their players who moved to, to, to Getafe in 2019 called Alan Yom. And with an apparent need to make up £15 million in player sales to bounce the books this transfer window, you could probably excuse West Brom for looking across to La Liga with distrusting eyes. I can imagine so. I remember Alan Yom, actually. He's an alright fullback, as I, as I recall. Not bad. He still, um, is, he still is not bad. Well, there you go. Um, I think it's quite funny, that situation, because it's kind of like, <laughs> if you're West Brom, and even though he was sort of like taken off their hands... You would be so confident that of all clubs, Barcelona would stuff up. Yeah, like exactly. It's like, being, exactly. It's, like, it's like finding out that, like, you know, Jeff Bezos has been around yours and taken a fiver. And you're like, yeah, okay, we're back. And then you open the papers and it's like bankruptcy. <laughs> it's just like. How? <laughs> or just, you know, that would be three years later. The first thing you call Jeff up the next week and you're like, can you pay me that fiver? He's, he's, like, like, he's, like, right. he's like, no, <laughs> I'll never pay that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then three years later, he found out he's bankrupt. <laughs> uh, it's almost yeah. as if like the the signs were there that Barcelona were a financially poor run, poorly run club. It is almost as if that is. It, it is almost as if that. Um, looking at uh, just a selection of three of the Premier League games because we've uh, filled up ourselves with uh, some great chat about the the other stuff, the Red List and Nice Marseille. Um, looking at a couple of the Premier League games, I wanted to talk to you about West Ham four Leicester one, not least because it was the highest scoring game of the game week, along with Manchester City versus Norwich, but come on, it's not as exciting as this game. Um, but we, because, saw, we saw it coming. Well, because West Ham, with this result, are top of the Premier League, they have scored eight goals, Mikel Antonio looks like one of the best players to ever grace the football pitch, and I was waxing poetic about him last week before this game even started, um, where, honestly, I was watching this game, and I was like, on a different day, he could have scored six goals. He was playing out of his mind. Saeed Benrahma also had an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah. The, the whole team did, to be quite honest with you, as is, you know, you won't be surprised to to learn listeners in a four-one win. But Antonio, in particular, that man is set if he can not get injured for like a twenty-something goal season. He is. That's what he, what he said hot. in the uh, in the post match yeah. interview, which is actually really funny. But um, yeah, they said like he was like, "Oh yeah, golden boot," and I was like. Having watched these first two games, fair enough. If you don't get injured, I can believe it because he was great for um, he was great last season as well when when he was fit. But it's just that fitness thing. Interestingly, he is now, and this is a great stat for someone who has spent a huge amount of time at the club as a right back and later a yeah. winger. He's now West Ham's all time Premier League top goal scorer. He sure is, and he's not far off their um, their all time scorer. Yeah, so um, so I mean, he could well break it in the next um, few years. It's um, yeah, I guess the only the only shame about it is that there's always going to be a little mark next to how well West Ham played, which is that Leicester went down to 10 men fairly early on. And that kind of scuppered their chances of, of you know, mounting a good comeback towards the end of the game. And I think you can see that they were definitely a lot more tired as um, West Ham fired two past them in you know the 80th minute and beyond. But yeah, they, they definitely are playing out of their skins at the moment. And they're a really fun team to watch. I was definitely worried that, um, you know, without Jesse Lingard, they would struggle for creativity, but say Benarama just seems to have very happily and easily filled that role for them. Absolutely slotted in, yeah. And and you know, Pablo Fornell seems to have come on a fair bit this Absolutely, season, at least yeah, in the definitely. first two games. And he was always someone who I think they signed him like two or what two or three seasons ago. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three. It's hard to know with the flow of time with coronavirus. Um, <laughs> does, does that say count? But at the time, was like well, exactly. But at the time, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, like he's such a good hot young prospect," and he never fully sort of realised that, and wasn't wasn't really last season ever one of the players that you looked at West Ham and where, oh yeah, he's a big part of the reason why they've done so well. Whereas this season, he is sort of you know again, it's two games in, but is a big part of the reason why they've been doing so well. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you know as as the first few games play out you can't got to work out whether or not these are just like really hot flashes of, of great play or if it's actually indicative of how well their season's going to go but where Sam seemed to be doing all of the right things at the moment and they've carried on their momentum from last season in a really positive way and I definitely have been guilty of underestimating them in the past and it seems I've done it again this season by saying that Brentford are going to finish above them but an extremely hot take on Saturday. <laughs> an even hot take now. No, I think I think they're a really good side. Think about the red card. You, do you have any thoughts about that? There were some some thoughts of controversy about the people that I was watching it with. I thought it was a red card, plain and simple. Well, he just like studs up, went in, 
and hit him like above his ankle. Yeah, it's a red card. Very easily could have broken How could his you leg. Not give that? Very easy. Well, so the the argument that I heard was sort of, oh well, he's sort of stumbling, he's out of control, like he's not really doing it on purpose, but still reckless play. To be flailing around with your legs like at that angle with your studs up, studs out. I'll be honest, like I obviously I've never played football at a high level, but if anything, that would mean that I've been stumbling more and, and I've been mm. out of control more. I don't think I've ever done a tackle that bad on anyone. I um, have done a tackle that bad, but it was 100% intentional. <laughs> and my excuse to the referee was I didn't know what was happening and I was stumbling. Well, exactly. You know, if you're if you're taking anecdotal evidence from two people, <laughs> um, then uh, it was very much on purpose. And Isaac Perez got everything that he had coming Straight to Straight to the shadow realm. Oh, yeah. Early shower for that boy. Early shower, indeed. Um, but Leicester... Should they be worried, or is this just a you know a result of that of that red card? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because normally um, Leicester surprise everyone because they let one or two great players go, and everyone goes, "How are Leicester going to do it again this season?" They're probably going to really struggle, and then they haven't really sold anyone. This but... this season, they've kept the old players and added. They you know, they always do add, but they've added besides. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not really. So it's weird that you know they. They normally show us all up and go like, "Oh, actually, we turned out we didn't need Harry Maguire. Turns out we didn't need Angelo Kante." Um, but you know, they kept players like Madison, and still, they they look a little rockier than than a, we a, might imagine. A little bit shaky. And I mean, they y- also did not have a. You know, I know he scored, didn't have but, a great game. But firstly, the goal was like it was quite spawny. I don't, sure I don't know that goes in every time. There were a couple of times. I don't think any of them specifically led to goals but as, as I was saying I think Antonio could have just really turned it on and scored even more goals than he had but there were a couple of times when he was specifically at fault and I was sort of like this is a player that we last season were looking at as one of the sort of most consistent even yeah. keels level headed sort of for like, Leicester yeah, yeah he for, was, for Leicester um, you're never, you're never going to get you know he's he one of those players you're never going to get less than a 7 a, out of 10 absolutely. and frequently you're going to get a 10 out of 10 and he was <laughs> like r- running a hot 2 in this game well, I mean, it might just be then like um, representative of the fact that he is now so important for Leicester that when he has an off day, Leicester just don't look like the same club because, mm, very true. Um, you know, he he played through all of their injury problems last season. Um, the other thing I would say is that Leicester didn't have a very nice time towards the end of last season. So it's not like, you know, they've, they've dropped off momentum wise. If anything, this is kind of just a continuation of last season um, in the same way that we're seeing West Ham do well. And they finished last season pretty hot. Leicester finished last season quite badly. Started this one not great. They surely are finding out as one of the sort of newly ordained big teams that it is tough at the top. <laughs> Everyone comes for you. Hey, if you're not moving. If you're not moving. Well, I do think part, 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 part of that reference. is like Leicester. I, I don't think there's any team really in the Premier League that people sort of go, yeah, it's this team. But I think there are varying degrees. Like I think if you're if you're playing... Man City or maybe Liverpool again this is definitely Liverpool a few seasons ago or Chelsea you are probably spending 1.5 times the amount of concentration and effort and specific game planning to just try and stop them yeah absolutely either beat them or stop them overrunning you Mm -hmm. Um, which is no disrespect to the other teams but like I do I really think that most teams are putting in as much effort to prepare themselves for a Crystal Palace as they are for a Chelsea? No. I and, don't know. And, I, I would I disagree think, with that. I, the reason I think that that's the case, and also I think that that's kind of a good thing, because I think that's why we end up having situations where you'll have Palace beat Leicester, but Leicester beat Chelsea in back-to-back games, because I think sometimes there is that sort of, not underestimation, but relative estimation. Yeah. Um, and so Leicester have sort of got to this point now where I think you know, they've campaigned to be recognised as a top team. Everyone now does recognise them as a top team. Problem is, you're never going to have an easy game again because everyone's going to be gunning for you. I, I'm i actually going to flip that around and I'm going to disagree with you. I think the main thing with, with the Premier League and with that mentality is having the sense that you can get something from a game. And, you know, a lot of times when, you know, someone lines up against Man City, they'll probably think that there's a very strong chance that they've already lost it. And while you might think that it translates to them putting in 50% more effort, I would actually argue that a game that they feel like they can win, you're probably going to run that extra bit harder because you think you're really in with a chance, which is why you know it gets gritty when a relegation candidate is fighting another relegation candidate for three points. Yeah, and, no, and maybe, maybe that's also when, why, you're, when you know, you're near each other in the table. Yeah, but also if you're West Ham and you're, you're, you're looking at Leicester and you're thinking, you know, this is a team that don't have a lot of um, momentum... They're not in, in the hottest run of form. We are. We can beat them. Let's do this. Mm. Rather than 
Leicester are looking like a top seven team now. We're going to try and beat them extra hard. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like, for example, Chelsea versus Arsenal. I saw. Um, I think one of the one of the pundits I um, was watching said something to the to the effect of like, Lukaku couldn't have picked a better game to start the season with because you know Arsenal just just aren't looking like the club that they can be. Sometimes it's a great time to be playing Arsenal because they're not playing very well. Chelsea would have taken that energy into the game and been like, we can beat these guys. We're going to beat these guys. And as a result, they'll play harder. They'll play better. Yeah, no, that that definitely... I, I, I absolutely take that point. That definitely will inform how teams... And sort of, yeah, maybe if you're, I don't know, let's say uh, Burnley and you're 12th place and you know you have a game against Watford and also a game against City, maybe you will put more effort into the Watford one because you think that one is, you know, worth the, worth time investment. Maybe maybe there's a better example to sort of talk about, like, the relative effort. Someone who's, like, specifically at the top will put in. Yeah. Like, like, like I feel like... Actually, Leicester really aren't a good example because they beat City all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of feel like it's, like, you know, people often call young the smaller clubs minnows, but they're piranhas. Like, mm. if they smell blood, they go for it. Oh, yeah. Um, as we always talk about, so yeah, I think that 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 represents the fact that you know if they if they think that they can get a ch- get a result in a place where they don't always get a result, they will push that bit harder. You referenced a game there that is the second game I want to move on to here. Not because there is as much surprising about this game as there was maybe in West Ham Leicester. This game has often been a foregone conclusion. Although I did notice a lot of Chelsea fans online before this game, like you look at that from. You try and remove yourself from as much of that as possible, and you go, Chelsea have just won the Champions League, they've just added a £100 million striker, yep. they've got a manager who clearly knows what he's doing, sure. against Arsenal, who are... Don't, don't have any of those things. <laughs> don't have any of those things, are, in the kindest possible terms, all over the fucking shop, <laughs> and and don't inspire a lot of confidence. So you would think that the very easy call would be to go, Chelsea win this game, uh, which is certainly the call we both went for, um, but... Um, and I believe you called it exactly correctly at 2-0. But, um, you know, I saw a lot of Chelsea fans online. And I do have, like, friends of mine who support Chelsea. Some of them talking about how Arsenal are sort of considered a bit of a bogey team for them. Which which I always think is like... Well, firstly, it's weird for a couple of reasons. Because it's weird to like think that Chelsea consider yeah. Arsenal a bogey team. Because not that long ago, they were about the same level. And not that long ago, Arsenal were way above them. But it's weird <laughs> it's, to it's think... It's like bogey team kind of suggests that, like, it's a difficult ground yeah, yeah. to go to. <laughs> <That's what I'm> <laughs> Yeah, I personally never think of those two clubs as being, you know, one in which Chelsea should be especially worried about. Not not to say that sometimes Arsenal don't take them on and win, but I think that Chelsea definitely give a, give as as well as they get against Arsenal. So they definitely do. Although there are, because like it seems weird to me that a Chelsea fan would think that. But I can get maybe... Because there have been a couple of occasions over the years where a really bad Arsenal side has sort of gotten a surprising win. I remember when Conte switched that 3-5-2 and it was because Arsenal pulled a 3-0 win over Chelsea out of absolutely nowhere. And that was such a stunning thing. That In the, the first half, yeah. Because it was like, the, 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 the like, I don't... What even is ball? <laughs> yeah. And then there have been a few... I mean, didn't Arsenal... I mean, yes, it was um, Australian Lampard to Chelsea at the time, but Arsenal beat Chelsea 3-1 last season. And there have been a couple of FA Cup um, wins for Arsenal. So this, you know, I think Chelsea have been a significantly stronger team than Arsenal for the better part of 10, yeah, 15 yeah, years. Yeah. But it's not all been one-sided. No, you're right. I guess I guess just because, like, in terms of, like, bigger picture, without remembering the fact that Arsenal beat Chelsea 3-1 last season, you think of, you know, Chelsea as kind of being semi the inheritors of, of Arsenal's, you know, high-profile status in the Premier League because, you know, went from kind of 2-3 three, four seasons, mm. like 0-2, 0-3, I mean, 0-3, 0-4 seasons, and then suddenly Chelsea entering this, the game and Arsenal have never quite managed to hit the same heights. No, and no. then also the other one I would think of is like the Europa League final in which Chelsea just battered Arsenal 4-1. But yeah, mm. you, you're probably right that maybe when you actually go into the, the numbers of it, Arsenal have you know, managed to pull off some some surprising victories. Well, it was not the day for that today for Arsenal, who were soundly beaten by uh, Chelsea FC. And, yeah, another one of those games where I thought 2-0 could have been a lot worse for Arsenal. I did think that they were unlucky not to get a penalty um, in the second With half. Rhys James kind of them running running across each Re- other. Yeah, Rhys James, Quinny Fowl. I thought, I thought they were unlucky not to get a penalty there. I also didn't 
really feel like that would have changed the game. I felt like it was very much one of those situations where, yes, goals can change games, but had Arsenal scored a penalty, um, it would have just, you know, inspired Chelsea to go and score two more. Um, such was the sort of freedom that they had. It was a really interesting game in terms of how Lukaku interacted with, because obviously Lukaku scored a goal, but Reese James also scored a goal and got an assist. He sure did. And the way those two combined was very interesting. I wonder if we'll see a lot more of it, because we talked a couple of weeks ago about how if Lukaku and Havertz start up front, Reese James and Ben Chilwell are going to love whipping crosses into them. And what was interesting even beyond that was that having someone like Lukaku up front for Chelsea created so much space on the right for Reese James to bomb forwards, because essentially what you had was a situation where... Rob Holding couldn't do anything about Lukaku. Kieran Tierney immediately noticed that and essentially became sort of like an auxiliary centre-back sort of sitting inside. And Reese James could pick up the ball essentially in his own half and run all the way to the byline without interruption. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really rough game for Arsenal, not just in terms of like the individual players, but also just tactics-wise. Mm. Like Chelsea were able to punish them so effectively by spreading the play wide. Um, and, you know, the Reese James goal. Yeah, so it was interesting because both... Both goals just showed the the gaping holes in Arsenal's um, performance. Mm-hmm. The first one was a ball like I don't know going like thirty yards right up the middle of the pitch, all the way to Lukaku on the ground, and no one being there to stop it. And then the second was you know play starting on the left, and then relatively quickly, but not massively quickly, switching to the right, and there being just acres and acres of space for the, the wing back on that side to just take his time, take a touch. Pick the pick the ball out of the corner, um, so yeah, Arsenal really really struggled in this game, and I think it's maybe slightly worrying for other sides looking at this Chelsea performance because they really only had to turn it on for about fifteen minutes. Yeah, and and once they'd and done the job, coasted, they just knew there was nothing going absolutely on. Absolutely really. chilled out, and that in my mind is like a warning sign to other other sides that if they can sit deep and defend really robustly, and then just hit you hard a couple of times and have the most comfortable game of their life. That is the kind of form that wins leagues. I mean, what I would say about the Arsenal side they're playing against is it was, again, much against Brentford, a very, very young side. I think a lot of the players there, from your Smith Rose to your Martinelli's to your Sackers, some of whom I think are going to be top, top players someday. Just not yet. It just wasn't the game for them. Um, Yeah, no, you you are right. And and, and I think another part of it, another big part of it, you talked about sort of that first goal, which went about 30 yards through the middle of the pitch. And then also the second goal, which was caused, as I mentioned there, sort of about Kirantini having to cover because there wasn't someone there to drop back and cover that space. Both of those goals I was watching and I was going, Arsenal probably still lose, but is it maybe 1-0? Or are those goals sort of coming in later in the game and Chelsea have to switch on more than one time if Thomas Partey is playing? Sure. Which, yeah. which then also made me think, wow, Arsenal really pulled their own trousers down by playing Chelsea in a pre-season friendly <laughs> three weeks before they played them in the league. Well, exactly, yeah. There's definitely um, a hint of, of irony there. But, uh, I mean, the, the flip side of, of all of that is, you know, we can wax lyrical about how good Chelsea looked, but also they did give Arsenal opportunities to get back into the game despite how young Arsenal's lineup was. I mean, mm. there was, as you mentioned, the penalty. There was also, um, you know, a moment where Rob Holding very much could and should have scored off a corner, um, had a free header and and put it wide. So, you know, it's not not an infallible um, side that we're looking at in Chelsea yet. I I, I agree, but I I also kind of agree with what you said earlier. Like, it feels to me like that was very much Chelsea switching it on, going, right, job's done. And maybe maybe that's complacency that needs to be fixed. But it also feels to me like, had Arsenal scored, Chelsea would have just gone, right, let's switch it back on. Um, I, I really didn't fear on Chelsea's behalf anyway through that game and think like oh god they could be at risk of throwing this away even when there was that penalty I just thought yeah oh well the the not penalty but the one that, that in my opinion should have been given as a penalty um well I mean you know they Chelsea probably need to pick up at least one more goal if they're going to sit back and coast 2-0 the most dangerous scoreline in football no <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah it was definitely uh a, a one-sided fixture um, from start to finish, and Chelsea did look sharp, and Lukaku definitely looked very sharp, and it looks like he is probably also going to be a player similar to Antonio and score twenty goals odd this season. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so. I, I'd like Lukaku. He's obviously a top top player, and he's you know played in the Premier League as well. I there was just a slight part of me that everyone was sort of going nuts for him based on this game, and I was like. Okay, he this is a good player, but like test. playing against Rob Holding and Pablo Mari <laughs> yeah, does, yeah, does not yeah, yeah. necessarily guarantee. And I, I think you know he's done other things to prove that he will be a top class striker. Sure, but, sure. But yeah. people who 
but like there are a lot of people quite close mate of mine is always sort of like I personally think Lukaku is up there maybe he's like one tiny half rung below your Lewandowski's and your Kane's but I but I think he's in that general stratosphere and, Ooh, and I don't know about and, that yet. And, 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 and I, I guess get, the potential to. I get a very hard pushback that he's yeah. he's he's nowhere near that level. He's not even close. He's like, oh, he's just you know done okay in a farmers league and couldn't play well for United. Um, so which, oh, I, I've got I've got very. But but it seems but it seems like a lot of people in this country are still still sort of thinking about Lukaku for United, who also wasn't that bad, but just the system didn't matter to him. But sure. loads of people sort of seem very unsure about him. And it seems like this performance against a really bad Arsenal side is like the one thing that people have gone like, oh, I knew he was world-class all along. And I'm like, <laughs> well, no, he is, but not, like, that's not like, why. <laughs> scaling of your feats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like scoring 30 for for Inter in the top flight in, in Syria is probably a little better than, um, you know, putting one past Arsenal. One past one of the worst Arsenal sides in <laughs> In recent memory, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, so, so that, that that's the thing that sort of chuckled me about it because I'm like, you agree with me, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> it's like it's a, it's an uneasy alliance. <laughs> Strange um, bedfellows, indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's um, let's talk about the third game of this weekend, which was Southampton versus Manchester United. Yeah, and Manchester United. Um, good to know that they are, as ever, um, pulling it. You know, completely out of the, the, the schizophrenics handbook. Um, they put on an amazing performance oh, against Leeds, yeah. and here looked against a Southampton side that so many people thought was assuming to go down, just like they couldn't really get into the game. No, they didn't, and um, you know, Southampton took the lead early on, and for all intents and purposes, looked like the club with so the, the side with a lot more kind of drive and energy to them. I think um, you know, you've got to give credit to, to Southampton there for you know hampering Manchester United and cutting out their play. I think their goal came from um dispossessing one of Manchester United's midfielders in, in their own half. So, you know, um Southampton, we, we kind of laughed about at uh, the beginning of the season about being, you know, a club in crisis, but if this is any sort of indication that they might not be, you know. They, they might have an okay season. For me, one of the main takeaways was just the fact that, like, there are a couple of players like this. One is very obviously Timo Werner, um, and maybe his numbers up that. But there are just the players that just like they just fail upwards, and they can really do no wrong at the clubs they're at in term, in, at least in terms of the the management structure. Like a lot of Chelsea fans will bash Werner, but then he'll get started. And and the one for United is Anthony Martial. And I, just, I thought you were going to say Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> Bruno, oh, oh, I'll take that. No, I just, you know, Anthony Martial, he has never really been at the level they need. And especially at the moment when you're thinking about him, not only as a detriment to the squad, but as a detriment to Mason Greenwood's progress specifically, it just seems bonkers to me that he came in after that Leeds game and was given the, the upfront position so that Mason after Greenwood Mason would Greenwood start to... on the right. Yeah, and he led the and line also, so well. Jaden Sancho, who you've been chasing like a sort of a, a, a overzealous suitor for like two and a half years is still on the bench. It does seem to, uh, it's just one of those ones where you're like, there's, there must be something else going on because this surely is the most straightforward decision of anyone's life. Um, yeah. In theory, you'd have Martial out, you'd have Greenwood up top, Sancho on the right. Yeah. It's something like, because the, the, the thing is like, sometimes you see it with maybe someone like a Werner or, you know, like a, a Bamiyang when he's been out of form for, for Arsenal or some of these players who sort of have these enormous, relatively recent price tags. And so you sort of feel, or you get the sense that clubs feel compelled to play them to sort of like, you'd be like, oh, look, we didn't make a mistake. Eventually they'll do something. But Anthony Martial was signed like how many years ago now? And also like at the time for like 50 million raising 20 million. I can't imagine he's satisfied any of those conditions. And also 50 million for a Man United punt on a striker. It's not, it's not that much. Well, I mean, um, I guess maybe, I don't know if this is a thing, but um, maybe Manchester United just have some sort of like quota of like one high profile French player that needs to be flopping at any one time. <laughs> it's like the chalice has been, uh, has been passed from Mobile to, to Tony. Um, yeah. Now, now, now he has to flop. I mean, um, you know, I don't want don't to do any hot takes that are too hot, but uh, this guy, Paul Pogba, I like him. Uh, like yeah. he's, he's been you know going from strength to strength probably got an assist in this game takes him up to five assists for the season um, which is like basically double I think he got what did he get two last season three last season three last season so he's nearly doubled his, his, his tally from last season and again we saw him in that that left hand side he played yep. really well he did he sure did 
can't wait to watch him play in a pivot and look bad again. <laughs> oh yeah, give it a, give it a week or two. Um, or, also, that Anthony Martial can play on the left. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be like, so Martial will be out, but then Pogba's back. <laughs> exactly. Um, looking at our last sort of mini story, um, just something I wanted to pose to you because it's an interesting uh, thing that's come out this week, and that is the news that Robert Lewandowski is, in his words, looking for a new challenge. Um, apparently he is, and what's quite funny about it is he is getting on a fair bit now. He's 33 years old. Yeah, it doesn't exactly look like he's slowing down though, does he? He's, he's stated, no, not at all. He's, he's like four, a fine 41 league goals last season. But he stated, just a funny statement, because he said like his, his ambition is to play at another top flight European club before he's 35. Yeah. Which is like quite a funny way to, I mean, he is 33, but it's quite a funny way to phrase that to be like, yeah, you know, I'll be, I'll be settling down eventually. I want to get another big move. Most people say that before they turn like 28. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Well, I mean, this is definitely a trend that we're seeing um, for whatever reason, you know, sports science or, you know, just um, nutrition and things like that. But Ronaldo getting older, not getting worse. Zlatan mm. Ibrahimovic turning 40, still doing bits. Um, or, or, or even with a lot of these players, because I think like, for example, like a Messi or a Ronaldo specifically, like they're not as good as they were when they were 28, but they're still world class. Yeah. So, so, so they had such so a... Like the, the gap is so yeah, vast. The, the gap between. is so vast in matter. And I think, you know, when you look at someone like Lewandowski, 41 league goals He's last still getting season. better. Is he still well, getting better? He, I think he is specifically, but I think even, like, let's say you're a club that signs him. Yeah. And you you sign him on a three-year contract. Okay, maybe he starts getting... If he, even if he starts getting worse this year, you've got such a such a big... Like, yeah. He, I was got, like, oh no, we only got 35 goals this season. Uh, said. <laughs> exactly, like last season. This free transfer was la, not la, justified. Last season, the second top scorer in Europe's top five leagues was yeah. Messi with 30 goals, scoring 11 more goals than Messi. Pretty, it's pretty like, intense. It's, yeah. How many people have said that since Messi was a thing? I mean, I don't know how much we can say that like Lewandowski scoring that many goals and then being like, Guys, can I please just have a challenge? Represents like that's so, yeah, that's actually such a funny way to say it. It's just <laughs> like, like, well, I've broken Gerd records. This league is dusted. I also think so. His, his, his like completed it, mate. His contract runs until twenty twenty three. Um, yeah. Which you may think would entitle people to a sort of a bit of a cut price bargain. But I mean, I said absolutely not. It's a uh, hundred million euros 100 million or more. Yeah. Um, which would seem like a lot of money for a thirty three year old. Um, even though, as we discussed, I think he probably will be top quality deep into his 36s, 37s, 38s. Um, but it seems like a lot of money. Is there anywhere that you could see Lewandowski maybe going? Anywhere that you think would be, you know, maybe an interesting matchup that would punt that sort of money? Aside from PSG, of course, because I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Um, <laughs> I, I won't lie to you. I thought about it. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him at Man City. Honestly, I mean, that'd be a... A, a, a real a, statement of intent. A real statement signing. And it would be, you know, if any if any club has money to burn. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, I would kind of maybe like to see what he would do at Real Madrid. Real Madrid would be a really interesting one. Um, although, that would be like my main number one. Although, I mean, Benzema's still kicking, but... Yeah, but you can have a strike. You could, if they wanted to go to like a 4-4-2, it'd be yeah, really exactly. interesting. Benzema is good at sort of stepping back. Exactly. That'd be very interesting. Um, so, you know, also to have Hazard and Bale flanking um, Robert Lewandowski is just the stuff of dreams. I'm kind of hoping that because he, you know, they've said 100 million euros this window, but a lot of people think, because they've, they've also done, like, such a buy-in thing. They've said, like, oh, we really value him, he's this much. They apparently, I was reading a bunch of stuff today, they have just made no effort to be like, want to sign a new contract? Because they've supposedly already yeah. basically decided this Haaland next season. Right. Cause, that cause, is interesting because he will be available for 75 million euros so does that then mean that Lewandowski with a year left on his contract or if anything moves quickly with Haaland this summer could be you know moving somewhere at a, at a cut price to, deal to shuffle off at a 34 year because a 34 year old Robert Lewandowski he's cut price I can think of hundreds of clubs that oh, would be, absolutely, be approved yeah. and then if, if you could if you could buy Lewandowski even if it was next year for 50 million pounds and I'm you, I don't know you'd surely think about it and I'm you? I don't know West Ham <laughs> or Everton. West Ham. Here, here's here's where I would like to see him. I'd be going Gambit. Lille. I mean, that'd be great. It'd be great to sort of like turn the tide on, on PSG a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be fun. That's, yeah, that would be. And also, yeah, make, make Ligue 1 Uber Eats uh, even more exciting than people are expected to be this season. At what point does uh, Real Madrid become a hipster club? Uh, <laughs> I think in like 200 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like how far down the league would they have to finish? Um, to be uh, to be interesting, 
and like a cool thing that Lewandowski could go to like try and like reignite them? Uh, I don't think ever because like, like the, fifth. The, 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 there are some clubs that I think are so large that it, not only would it take a t- like the the example that you would think of like a big club that is now a bit of a hipster club would be Leeds, and they were yeah. on the top flight for like sixteen years. Sure, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of like all the teams that have like even been moderately successful but have like never won the league or anything but like have gone down West Ham like Villa. a West Ham they've never really been a hipster club even, no, even, even Villa they've aren't not. really they've a hipster not. club well that's because all, all, all fans do is desperately try and maintain relevance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should really do is the two steps forwards to, to sorry yeah two steps forwards one step back yeah well because you're, you're you're taking away the opportunity to sign Robert Lewandowski <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And have him oh, as a pet project. I would, I would just love to see him so much at a club that, like, you know, the kind of club that can afford to make a fifty million euro signing, but normally yeah. does it on like a, a player that, fine, you know, oh, he's he's a decent attacking midfielder who's Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal would be a would be a great one. Although they would definitely have to wait for for next season, unless sure. unless they could somehow shift Aubameyang and Lacazette and be like, all that money goes immediately into Lewandowski. Oh, actually, okay, I've I, I take back any answer I've, I've already had previously. I have the perfect club that I would love to see him at. Mm-hmm. Brentford. Just imagine, just imagine what you're saying, like 50 million for Lewandowski. Just imagine Brentford crunching the numbers and deciding that based on the algorithms that they have, based on all of the mathematical formula that they run, that that is like the ultimate good financial investment on a player. So funny. And deciding to lump up 50 million for Lewandowski. I'd be so here for that. I think we like we always talk about how funny it would be to just have like one absolutely elite footballer at a level where like, everyone else is like okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm excited to see him move because you know obviously he has completed Bundesliga and I kind of want to see how he does in other other places. Yeah, definitely the same. I mean, he's been fantastic to watch for so long, um, and I feel like we've sort of been not robbed but because he plays for Poland and not you know one of the nations that's normally sort of kicking around the sort of quarterfinal semi-final sure. levels of international tournaments we don't we that frequently on... get to yeah, see yeah, yeah. him mix it with the, the best people on the global stage mm. he gets a couple of Champions League games a year for Bayern Munich and a couple of games against other top Bundesliga opposition but in terms of seeing him play against the best from the Prem, the best from La Liga, the best from Serie A. We we, we don't really get that much of a chance to Not do that. Not as often, no. No, you're right. I think um, probably the most inevitable thing that will happen is that he'll go the other way for Haaland and back to Dortmund, but we will see. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that from a, from a narrative point and him and Royce can finally be united again, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see him. I want to see him in a new league. I, I agree with you, though. I agree with you. Um. That is probably a good a place as any to end it. Well, as, as the we, only like, final thing that we have to talk about is our score predictions for the week. Um, so we've been keeping doing the, oh, yeah. uh, the, the predictions for each um, scoreline. And um, unfortunately, um, despite coming out one point ahead of you last week, this week you have pulled it back and then some, um, scoring 14 points to my 17, which means that you now dip below my total of 38, and I have 36 points. Exceptional. And um, just as a reminder to listeners, this is sort of like, it's basically like golf, the way the scoring is work. You want a, a lower score. Under par, yeah, exactly. Basically. So I am... Um, so, yeah, you correctly predicted Liverpool-Burnley, 2-0. You correctly predicted Wolves-Tottenham, 1-0 to Spuds. So, yeah, well done you. And you also got two correct this week. We mentioned earlier Arsenal-Chelsea, but also, curiously, Leeds-Everton 2-2 you managed to pull out of thin <laughs> yeah. air. Well, I just felt like, you know, Leeds just have a go at any club they can, and Everton have the wherewithal to score goals but not stop scoring. I suppose that's, I suppose that's unfair. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was vastly wrong in other areas. Um, but, yeah, um, Cameron, great to talk to you as ever. Rupert, great to speak to you as well. And thank you very much for listening. We will catch you guys next time. Cheers, guys. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron MacDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.